It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera. Joined this week by a Kickabout regular, um, Hannah Farrell. Hannah, it's so good to see you. I feel like getting to see you uh, periodically and doing this just uh, enables me to get my fingers on the pulse of of everything that's going on over there and uh, you know between this and and your your Instagram where you're where you're trying on like really cool you know fuck off Boris Johnson shirts oh you're even wearing I've got it right it now on. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I always feel like, man, Hannah's always going to have something, something or some things to say. That's uh, vocal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why, look, I, I don't need quiet people on this thing, uh, for sure. Uh, and <laughs> you said before we got started that uh, I mentioned something about, well, I'm sure we'll get along to Everton and how you guys are feeling about things. And I think your response was uh, kind of the, the Jose uh, Mourinho. Uh, <laughs> it's become like a, a speaking meme of, uh, I, I want to say something, but I'll get in trouble if I if don't. If I speak, <laughs> I will get into trouble. That is me. <laughs> and that's because Hamish Rodriguez has, has a coming together, but Virgil van Dijk's apparently has attempted murder on him. But that's yeah. what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> I know. There's just, uh, we're going to have to institute the Jordan Pickford rule all over the world now. It's going to be tough when no one's allowed to play anymore. Uh, Matt Flusk uh, is joining us today. Matt, I, I, I think you've been, I know we've done pods together before, but it's been a while. Um, Matt is, it, Matt's, um, I brought Matt on for two distinct reasons. One, um, I'm pretty sure he's the smartest person that I know, and that intimidates me at times. But I lo- but I love him for it. He's it's he uses his power for good. And two, he is he has got uh, he really does have 
maybe the most underutilized voice, uh, vocal talents uh, on the Blue Room. Uh, Matt, uh, how are you doing today, buddy? How, welcome to the kickabout. I'm doing much better after that. It's nice to have your ego inflated from time to time, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah. Well, I'd just look, like to say one thing. So yeah, I go got that I was loud. And Matt got that he's the most intelligent person you know. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. Stop. <laughs> First of all, Hannah, I feel like I feel like you've been on here so many times. I have sung your praises so many times. Just stop it. Uh, you're obviously you're obviously one of the coolest people I know, or else you wouldn't be on here. Look, I have a pretty high bar for who gets on to this thing. Uh, I'd rather have two people. I'd rather be just me and one other person than bring on a third person that I don't really care for or rate. So I think you you should be aware of that. So no, look, you're both great. You're both cool. And you're not at all needy uh, for for affirmation. So uh, that's that's good. Anna, I'm going to start with you because uh, I feel like I feel like uh, on the podcast all week, we've probably exhausted all of the particulars of the incidents of the Derby and and I think it shifted gears into the reaction to it and we're you know we're we're a few days away I guess we play on Sunday so we're a few days away from the next game and yet the the subject doesn't seem to die uh and I I guess I sometimes wonder how much of an accurate portrayal or picture of the the feeling around it and the the sense the sense of of how it is how it's different from afar uh, and and seeing it primarily through social media, uh, whereas you are there. Um, but I, I have I have to admit, Hannah, you're generally uh, always someone who uh, has the appropriate level of of good outrage and entertaining outrage. So <laughs> I've been waiting to talk to you about this. Um, so how long? Um, how long of a prison sentence does Jordan Pickford need to serve in order to make those people feel better about things? Well, from the cop I've seen this week, I think that he needs the death penalty for any kinds of justice, apparently. It's just, it's just ridiculous. But for me, the cherry on top of the cake is that the player who we're all crying about and apparently the Avon petitions and the Liverpool Echoes opens a send your messages to Virgil. But <laughs> we've now got our, arguably our most talented player now out from because of their coming together with that same player who doesn't right. do stuff like that. I think that's just why I'm a bit more like... <laughs> Okay, but we laugh at it and we understand, well, that's football. But obviously the other sides of the city don't do that. But I think for me, like, it was all funny, do you know what I mean? Like, we all knew it was ridiculous. But when the Liverpool Echo said, send your message to Virgil. Yeah, it's is it, like he was dead. The, the black and white the photo die? was my favourite part. Yeah, <laughs> the black like, and white photo was my favourite part for sure. It, like, did the royal, so when the royal family die, like, he's a sportsman, you get injured. Like, so that's just been my outrage this week. But the only re- I'm just going to another point. The only reason this is still a story on the Thursday is because of who the opposition was. Right. If this was another team, this would not still be a story. So and that, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You're, I, I, I agree. And so I want to pivot from that to I think what is the bigger question that I have because I feel, Matt, like there is. 
this is this feels and i and i hate to trivialize it by comparing it to some you know to the long-standing and very nuanced issues of the israeli-palestinian conflict or anything like that uh yeah yeah, exactly that's why i just said i don't want to do that but but the dynamic of the dynamic of there always being this kind of permanent tension and whataboutism and what have you. I, I guess what I was left with this week was kind of wondering, was there ever any resolution they could have gotten that would have satisfied them? Because I, I'm not convinced that if he had been red carded or suspended for three games that if the result is the same and Van Dyke is out for six to eight months or however long he's gone. I mean, I, I I don't know. I guess my question is, is that we have all of this kind of focused outrage online. Uh, Social media really does bring out some of the more creative ways to uh, take shots at at the other and and to use analogies and to point out previous uh, instances. I, I, I particularly loved someone who retweeted uh, a 10 year old guardian article about Maron Fellaini getting injured <laughs> in a Derby is. and being out for months. Uh, again, I think it's uh, Kyriakos or I, I can't remember who it was, but I, I guess my question to you, Matt, is that, uh, is there any resolution that would make, would have made them happy or is this just sort of the way things are always going to be? <laughs> no, <clears throat> there isn't, there really isn't. And it, it depends how deep you want to go into the psyche of uh, Liverpool Football Club, or one word, as is traditionally said. And I think deep down it goes back to the the absolute obsession with having to best us at everything. And in this case, it's petty, you know, grudges. So mm-hmm. we, we are a fan base that is known for our petty grudges, especially when it comes to Merseyside derbies. Yeah, we I've name noticed. Merseyside derbies after referees. That's how bad we are. I mean, uh, the Clattenburg Derby. Yeah. Every every Everton fan knows the name Clive Thomas. I know the name Clive Thomas. That incident happened fifteen years before I was even born. But I know every single moment and every blow of that incident. But they can't have that. They need to better us at everything. So they need to go one step further. They're still going on about the Mason Holgate incident with Roberto Firmino. Even though, even though for my part, that whole thing was handled exactly as it was supposed to be by the authorities, a complaint was made, and I do believe he honestly thought that he heard something, because you could see by his face in the moment, the reaction. So they took it away. I don't even think he got suspended, did he? Nothing like that. He just investigated it. No. He had a couple of hearings and everything, and then it was found that it wasn't proven. And they're still going on, it to this de- like going on about it to this day. So it, it goes back to that... that deep-rooted obsession that they have with having to have one up on us for everything and they're going to be going on about this for years to come they really will be even if he comes back perfectly fine as fit as he was as good as he was because let's make no mistake he's a very very good defender they're still going to be going on about this yeah no it's never going to end never so we've had I've gone from the specifics of Jordan Pickford to the bigger question of would anything have satisfied them to a now even broader 20,000 foot question, which is how do you deal with a person or a group who has had every advantage, has won everything, doesn't have anything left to prove, they've climbed the mountain, and yet they're still so deeply unhappy. I, I, I ask this because I go back to the 
Um, you know, I go back to when the, the, the title was won, the, the, the lockdown restrictions were broken, the fire was thrown at the Liver building, <laughs> all these things. And I, I remember feeling like there was this question of, you know, because we were in these kind of obviously weird post, you know, weird apocalyptic times that we're in that they, they didn't get their parade. They didn't get this, uh, what have you. But it also sort of highlighted to me that even if they had, it's amazing how much of our emotional investment in sports is into the journey itself. And that once you actually reach the summit, it's never quite I, – I, I think about this a lot with Everton. Like if we ever get there, and believe me, I, I would love to, to, to have this uh, hypothetical be played out into real life where we get there and we're winning a league or we're winning uh, the Champions League or something like that. Uh, which sounds insane, but you know, let's let's hope that 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 we're going to get there someday. But I saw what how they reacted, and I saw generally how kind of over it pretty much was after a few days. And I thought, wow, that's kind of anticlimactic. That's it. Um, and it made me ask a bigger, larger question about sport, which was a. Uh, are we going to be underwhelmed once we get there? But b. What do you do with a person or a group of people who have achieved everything, have won everything, and yet they still manufacture grievances uh, on a nonstop basis? Like, what's the end game? Is there ever any happiness in sport if you win everything and yet you're still not happy? That's a it's a weird question, but I'm I'm very curious as to you know what it is that that defines that particular group. Matt, you said obsession with with us. Why why be obsessed with us? We've 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 done nothing for ten years or, or longer than that, twenty years. I mean, what like what's the what am I missing here? Why are they so deeply unhappy? That's a difficult question to answer. Isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm probably making a statement by even asking the question, but yeah. I, you know, and Hannah, if you've got thoughts too, yeah, I mean, but it is so true. Isn't is it, it a every- cultural thing? Is it a, you know, what am I missing here? I think it's, so I say this a lot of times to like Reds I speak to, they're not gracious in defeat. Whereas we are, and we can rip ourselves to shreds and take the piss out of ourselves. And when something horrendous happens, like that FA Cup derby last year, we can brush it all off because we can find the funny and the sad situation because everything's always been so shiny and everything they can't. So I think it's just that thing, like even at like the 7 2 against Villa, oh, at least we're not Everton, we're not as shy as you still. Everything <laughs> will sign Hammers Rodriguez, yeah, but. Yeah, but you haven't got a Premier League and everything has to be, but it's not this, it's not that, it's not the other. And I think it's just the threat because maybe it is, if you look at it from a perspective, well, United, like what, 15 years ago, wouldn't have thought that they'd be the underdog to Man City. So maybe it is a genuine fear, maybe. What about if this money does come in and this manager comes in, do you know what I mean? It could be an actual niggle where they think, this could be actually a big change but I just think it's the thing that they they're not gracious in defeat because of lucky for them they don't know it but then that just makes them all look like knobhead really doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I don't know I I, I find <laughs> I find this entire I, I I I look at them and and I I can't help but acknowledge that a we are a very different I do feel like we are a very different group of fans, probably because of the f- uh, of the fact that we've genuinely struggled for so long, and that that defines you. And especially, 
you know, you guys are part of a generation that has not seen uh, anything anything (laughs) that great in terms of winning, um, you know, to a degree. I mean, you were really young when you did it or, you know, in my case, uh, nothing. the, the, The biggest the biggest accomplishment I've ever seen Everton uh, make was in the very first year, 16 years ago, when I followed them and they made a Cinderella run to the to the Champions League, and then maybe you're the problem. Villarreal happens, yeah. And then <laughs> maybe I'm you kiss. Maybe I'm the problem. Yes, well, believe me. And I've I've considered several times uh, that that I may very well be the Everton curse that I constantly talk about. That I may be the reason, uh, but I'd like to I'd like to think not. Um, it, no, I just but I, I look at them and I think, well, you know, this is a group of fans that uh, all of the jokes about the. Uh, the fact that their core fan base is somewhere in Brooklyn, New York, or that they are um, that they are a group of you know iPad wielding uh, um, you know tourist fans or what have you, but let's just be honest. True. They've got, yeah, <laughs> but they've got a core. <laughs> they've got a core fan base that's uh, you know in terms of the cultural and geographical makeup is very similar to Everton's. So I can't help but look at them sometimes and think is. Is this what's going to be like when when we win and if we eventually win? Are we going to be this? Yeah, I'd like to think that winning won't spoil us. Matt, tell me why winning won't make us terrible. As I and I ask this question as we are currently at the top of the table, and I'm already projecting uh, the parade route uh, through (laughs) Liverpool. Well, first thing on that, I can guarantee you now, if if some, you know, if help freezes over and we do actually win that league, they're going to ask us for a joint title tour. They are. Because they oh, never got oh, one, they're gonna want. They're gonna want two buses. Imagine. <laughs> but Can I think you imagine. There's two I think aspects people actually here. will get mazes. <laughs> I'll say that. I think there's two aspects here, and the first is us as Everton fans. You're saying about like our generation not having seen, well, either any silverware or very young when it actually happened. And that's true. But then, if you go one generation further, we were raised by. A generation of Evertonians who obviously saw the lot, mm-hmm. and it's. I, I fundamentally believe that football and sport as well. Obviously, you want your cups, you want your medals, trophies, and everything. But it's about the stories, and we were raised on the stories. Like when we listen to our parents and our aunties and our uncles and everyone talk about the eighties, they don't talk about, oh yeah, we won two leagues and an FA Cup and a cup winners' cup. It was great. Anyway, what's the tea? They tell you stories, they tell you about jumping the ferry to the Hook of Holland and then getting the train up from Amsterdam to Rotterdam and all these mm-hmm. stories, even going to the old dodgy away game at Millwall or something like that. We were raised on the stories and that's why we can laugh at the defeats and yeah. the victories are so much more precious. And that's why we can sit here having not won anything at all since I was four years old and go, <laughs> funny that, isn't it? Like, <laughs> whereas them, they've got this... And the other aspect is, I wouldn't like to imagine that a group of fans in Copites who, you know, literally live next door to us, go to the same schools and do the same jobs as us, shop at the same shops, go to the same churches, is that your thing? I wouldn't like to say that they've got a different set of values because that would seem a bit reductive, but they, they often seem like they do. And for them, it is all about that final goal, like you said. And then when they get there, Exactly as you said, it, it didn't seem to fulfill them. And the fact of 2020 is that they didn't have them stories because they weren't there. They watched mm-hmm. it on a telly. 
they watched them stand on a custom-built stage on the cop with Coldplay in the background, bouncing <laughs> up and down like some FIFA cutscene. Yeah. It's, it's be, anticlimactic, if, man. If, if you are like a 30-year season ticket holder on the cop, and you've you've seen you know the highs of winning the, an actual title in 1990 and the lows of oh god finishing seventh or something like for them to have to sit there and watch that on tv that must have been that must have been shattering so i, th- I think what we've seen has just been a, a childish backlash against that whole situation i mean one percent of me might have a bit of sympathy for it but then 99 percent of me doesn't care because they're copites I would have if they weren't as horrible as they are. Like, I would have sympathy if they didn't just try and rip us to shreds for everything and try and take any enjoyment away from our game in any way they remotely can. So yeah. I have no sympathy. I'm made up you didn't get to see her. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's so interesting, though, that, Matt, I think you make a really interesting point because I'm trying to be honest with myself about what it is... Um, I mean, let's be honest, over the years, I have looked in the mirror and said, what am I doing (laughs) supporting Everton and being this? Because, you know, you guys know me well enough by now. Um, There's no good reason that an American who lives in the thousands of miles away with no familial connections to Liverpool or to the north of England or, you know, I think I took a DNA test and 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 yes, I have distant family that is connected to uh, to the to the north to, to, to England and to Wales and stuff like that. But let's be honest, I don't really have any connection. I have asked myself over and over again, <laughs> what am I doing? Why am I doing this? But I always come back to the same thing, Matt, which I think touches on your point, which is, you know, even even for all of the rel- you know, <laughs> the complete lack of tangible accomplishment in the form of trophies or titles or what have you. It is those moments. It is those games. It is those particular interactions uh, with friends uh, and the friendships, obviously, I've made. Uh, And for us, Matt, I mean, when I've been over, it's been the things we've done that really have nothing to do with Everton that have been just as important to me. Um, I want to be honest with myself and feel like those are the things that I will treasure the most because... I do think about when teams I've followed in my life have won a title. Uh, it's been, I actually have not had a team that I support win, and I'm talking about like major professional or in, in the United States, like college football, but I have not had a team that I support win a title of any kind in 20 years. You are now 20 years. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. what kind yeah of I might look? be. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that sounds very sciency and very uh, logical that you guys are, are assigning blame to me. But I, <laughs> but my point is just that that yet in twenty years I can still point to things in relation to sport that 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 had to have kept me connected to this somehow. And I guess I just hope that by the time and and I do have faith that we are for the first time in a long time really pointing in the right direction and doing the right things and and all of those that kind of thing. I. I I'd like to think that if we ever get there, that I will remember that it's not just about the destination. It is certainly about the journey, not to sound too cliche, but but I think that if you can't hold on to that, if you do get so focused on the end result being the only thing that matters and the end result being this thing that you use as a weapon against your neighbor uh, who supports a different team just to show them that somehow you're better than they are, even though you technically had nothing to do with that achievement or that 
that title or what have you, then 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 what is all this for? This it's just such an empty meaningless thing it's like uh you know it, it it means nothing and and i and i guess i feel like i i want this all to mean something uh ultimately um okay so let's get back to just everton today um i sometimes lament um Hannah, that I'm recording this on a Thursday because sometimes I feel like I've missed out on the week's conversation about things that just occurred over the past weekend. But what ultimately ends up happening a lot of times is that for whatever reason, Thursday, there's there always lately, especially there's always been something kind of newsworthy that's Some hit. drama. Yeah, some drama. So um, I have been getting out my, uh, Matt will appreciate my, it's always, maybe my it's always sunny reference here. I've been getting out my Charlie Kelly, uh, you know, pin board with all the strings attached to it to try to figure out uh, if you have not got Richarlison and you don't have uh, John, or I'm sorry, uh, Seamus Coleman, and you don't have Hamas Rodriguez, uh, that this is going to be kind of a weird starting 11 that we're going to see on Sunday. So, uh, Hannah, I, I don't want to get, I'm not necessarily going to get into X's and O's quite yet in terms of the formation, but we all sort of knew that at some point Hamas Rodriguez was not going to play every single game. Uh, we knew that uh, given a, you know, a player's like 29 is, is, young as that sounds to me, that, that for an athlete, you have to begin to manage minutes and, and those sorts of things. But uh, now we are suddenly hit with our first bit of genuine adversity this season. Uh, every, we've had a dream start. Everything's gone great. We fielded basically the same general starting 11 this entire time. Now we suddenly have to deal with injuries and, uh, and depth and those sorts of things. My question to you, Hannah, and, your, and I'd like your thoughts on this in general, how much faith uh, do you have in our ability to somehow find a way through this, uh, given the fact that there's been so much talk of, you know, the mentality is different under Carlo Ancelotti, the feel-good factor, the the general sense that everyone wants to be part of the solution now, uh, that, that players who disappointed last season are, are playing better this season, like Gilfie Sigurdsson or, or Iwobi or Bernard or, you know, you name it. it. It feels like everyone's playing a little bit better. Um, I, I'm always one of those people that says those sorts of, uh, those sorts of narratives about uh, mentality and teamwork are all well and good until you lose your best players, but I'd like to think that that some guys really have an opportunity to set, to, to uh, step up here. But we've got a really tricky one coming up with Southampton. So, uh, how confident are you, Hannah, in our ability to cope with uh, this uh, particular set of circumstances? So, I, it's different areas where I feel like it'll be okay, and other areas where I'm worried. Where I think we'll be okay, it sounds so strange to say, because it'll be the first actual 90 minutes on the pitch. Ben Godfrey, within 10 minutes of him being on the pitch, that confidence straight away, coming on for the captain in a Merseyside derby, and running the show like he did. So if he's him for Coleman, I've got no worries there. I feel really secure at the back there. Then, in place of... I I really want Gordon to get a start and I'll have confidence in him getting that. For me, that seems the most logical thing. No, he hasn't played that many games, but in the games he did, he got the assists up there and everything. Mm -hmm. So, and Southampton, don't get me wrong, it's such a tricky team. Like playing Danny Ings and everything with the form he was in last season is going to be tricky, but I'd want to see Gordon there. I wouldn't feel completely confident, but I'd be excited so it would make up for the fear, I think. 
And Hammer's big superstar. Obviously, it's going to be really shit not having him, but he's not my main concern. I said this as soon as Richarlison went off. I was rather Dom have got that red card than Richarlison, although Dominic scored on all the goals. Richarlison, what he contributes as a defensive player, he's the player that you mm. can rely on at any point in that pitch, he will be there. Hence why that red card happens, because he's the player who will always go in for everything. And it'll get to a point where you're like, how is he there? How is he back with the ball? He's like, because he's always everywhere. And I find it more worrying not having a player who's got that ability to basically go to drop deep down into a defensive role and still get up to the top ends of the pitch and mm. contribute on both ends of the pitch. So I'm more worried about not having Richarlison than not having Hammers because I've Hammers, he plays his walk and cool football and he'll put in a world-class ball into the box amazing but which Rich Arlison does which doesn't get go down like as an assist or a goal or something contributes more than all them other players in the team so I think that's going to be this like the actual biggest loss not having him and especially against a team like Southampton who you've seen on the weekends they can come back and they get a good amount of goals it's not like it's a team who are going to come and try and score one the do you know what I mean? They have, like, look what Danny Ings did last year. Do you know what I mean? They can score goals. So I think missing a player who can, like, control such, can drop back and do such a defensive effort for the team will be, I think it'll be scary to, to watch. But mm-hmm. obviously you hope that it will be okay. But yeah, um, so it's not all doom and gloom. Obviously not having, like, it was already the initial thing, not having Hallgate and everything. It's not ideal. But... It's strange because that, like, midfield, we've got, like, Alan Takora, Gomez available. But for me, on the Sunday, on uh, Saturday, that was the area that was worrying me the most because it yeah, looked like they last didn't season play well. Everton again. So that's... Yeah. Uh, we really need Takora, Alan, all that to be having an absolute worldy of a game to make up for not having Richarlison, and not having Hammers. But I don't fit as much as Seamus Coleman's, just everything that is Everton. I think it was, like, 11 years ago day is debut he just lives and breathes Everton unfortunately out of the three he's the one I think I'll not miss the most because I think we've got an incredible side in there who is ready to just prove why he should be in a bigger club so yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. a thumbs and ours no that's it makes sense and Matt I, I think Hannah brings up an interesting point uh because on the on the one hand, it's so easy to point to, and believe me, I've seen already a ton of this uh, today online. Um, once the news about Rodriguez not being in the game, you obviously see bring everyone bringing up the really pretty obvious, pretty straightforward things. Uh, he is responsible either in a primary or secondary way for a gigantic percentage of our goal scoring output this season. Um, I, I, I think that if this is one game, I'm not super worried about it. But I will tell you that if this is anything extended, I would be obviously a lot more worried about it. But but Hannah makes a really good point about Richarlison as a two-way player uh, that that we probably now take for granted the fact that he is going to get back and and, and help cover uh, on the left-hand side and really you know be Luca Dean's best friend at times. Um, that that's certainly a worry. So from from that standpoint. Um, I want to talk about I, – I, I kind of personally think it will be a Wobie on the left-hand side. Um, and I only say that just because, A, 
he's made the the bench and made the squad a lot more for whatever reason, as much as the fans and, and, and believe me, I get why there's a large proportion of fans. He wanted Anthony, Anthony Gordon to play. Um, I'm not sure that Carlo feels the same way, but B I, I do wonder is Gordon potentially that guy who, who's better served from uh, an impact perspective to be the guy that comes on 60 minutes in and suddenly just takes on a tired defense and, irritates them and and causes problems and gets gets crosses in etc i i don't know who i i I think there's great arguments and by the way we haven't mentioned bernard who could maybe not you know be a left wing player but we've seen him in the cup be very effective when he's done what hamas has done which is yes he technically starts on a wing but he really cuts inside and plays through the middle a lot um awobi can do some of that as well i think gordon can do some of that so yeah i mean but well but uh, you know in fairness to awobi awobi's played pretty well this season when he's, ob- he's obviously I, I, improved I, I, yeah he's improved he's, but he's still not i don't have confidence in him as a sure. player sure but having said all that matt uh how do you make what do you make of the the situation that everton find themselves in with all of these these injuries uh wh- what what would you do about the starting 11 if it was up to you the tough one because i think we'd be having a completely different conversation now if andre gomez hadn't stunk the gaff out on saturday now it seems like a given that he's going to be dropped for Sigurdsson. Whereas if he'd had an all right game, you'd think maybe Carlo might chance Sigurdsson just to hold down the fourth on the right-hand side for a week. Um, I completely agree with Hannah about Godfrey, I think. And in fact, that might count in our favour, the fact that Coleman and Hammers are both out on our side. Because we will be less adventurous, which means we won't leave as many gaps. Because yeah. I might be completely wrong here, but is pretty much down the left side, knock it into wings, put it in the net. That's Southampton's entire MO, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think to a degree, yeah. If it can be unfair to them, which on an Everton podcast, I'm absolutely going to be unfair to them because I hate <laughs> yeah, Me too. Hate Southampton. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I can't, I can't imagine Anthony Gordon starting, if only because what we've seen this season and the fact that he's not made the bench and there's, there's all sorts of rumours about falling out and stuff I'm not sure how true that is because let's face it Carlo Ancelotti is not the kind of manager you expect to have petty fallings out with players yeah no not at all um, yeah and I hadn't thought about it before this but Hannah's completely right about Richarlison and that defensive aspect and you said yourself Rob about his coverage of Dean that could be a bit of a worry because Dean's going to be relied on heavily now for our creativity yeah and I'm at the same time, I'm not worried because even though, yeah, Hamet has created most of our assists, I'm sure I tried to say that statistically, we're not in a situation where he's putting ball after ball after ball in the box and then Calvert-Lewin scoring the odd one. I mean, pretty much every time he puts it on his foot, he puts it in. So it's it's not like we'd be losing a massive creative supply. It sounds like I'm doing Hamet down there, doesn't it? But I'm not. What I'm saying is it's not like he's, you know, it's not like we're throwing the kitchen sink at it and then getting the odd goal and winning the game by one or two. Like, our finishing has been so good, other than, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, which would. Uh, I think we, we should be able to cope with it. And I've got, I have got faith in a Wobie myself. I think um, he, he needs a lot more patience than people are giving him. In many ways, much like Moise Keane, he's a, a victim of his own price tag and he had no control yeah. over that. And 
between him and Keane, we've got two players there who we've overpaid for because we thought we were getting a more complete player than what we've got. So, a bit of patience. And, yeah, this season, the cup games and the cameos he's had, he's looked a lot more focused. He's, he's doing a lot more simple things. He's not trying to take everyone off. So, I'm, I'm happy for him to slot in there on the left. The only question mm-hmm. then is on the right, isn't it? I would just like someone... I, I would like Gordon if he was given a brief to just put his foot on the ball and hold down the fourth rather than try and you know reinvent the wheel on that side because we are going to be quite vulnerable on the right-hand side. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a couple of instances on Saturday where Godfrey was caught out, but it was when he first came on, so we can forgive yeah. that. But we, you know, stop the cross is the main thing. We don't want balls bombing in off that right-back position because as much as I love him and we know you love him, Rob, Yeri Mina, it's, you know, the gods flip a coin. So I know, and it's so gutterman because you know what? I, I've been so enjoying buzzing and being so happy for Yeri, but then, yeah. you know, it's just... It, it that was little like back a, heel thing was just, yeah. Yeah. It looked good at the well, time, but then when you put it on the toe of someone like Mo Salah, and by the way, that finish was ridiculous, by the way. Yeah. I, I, no I mean, right let, let's... Let's have the context. I mean, we should probably add a little context as to who the opposition was in yeah. this particular scenario. Yeah. Too. I mean, look, I, I, I uh, yes, I, I, I make no bones about my my love of Yeri, but I also feel like I can have an honest assessment of him. Um, you know, he needs to be able to avoid mistakes that lead to goals in those scenarios, especially when if you, because if you actually think about the the derby with with him and Keane. They were playing fine uh, up until that point. It's I, I don't think you can point to, oh, God, Yeri was struggling the whole game. He really wasn't. He had a moment where I think he tried to do the thing he does where he kind of, you know, he'll use his legs, uh, he'll use his height and his legs at times. And sometimes, by the way, like it was against uh, Brighton or against Palace, it can be effective where he's he's trying to block a ball. I mean, so much of the Premier League, I feel like, is just – you're either getting balls past guys or they're blocking him in the box. There's just so much of that. I, I feel like Yeri was trying to block a ball off and use his instincts, and it just fell to the foot of one of, I don't know, the, what, three, four, five best attacking players in the entire planet Earth. I mean, th- <laughs> things are going to happen. Um, every Both center halves, I know the narrative is strange about this, but Michael Keane has made mistakes that have led to goals oh, yeah. this season oh, two. I'm it's not anyone else. But I feel like y- Yeri no. has a narrative about him that is what it is. But but I think my general point, though, is that the, the defense as a whole um, – you could argue, and I might argue this because this is not taking away from Seamus Coleman. I think Seamus Coleman has performed admirably so far this season, but he has always been the age he is. He's, I mean, he's he's this age now. I'm sorry, he's not always been the he's age. Always been. What a weird thing to say. He has always seemed old. I will I will tell you that, but um, uh, just because he hates dancing. But I I think that Seamus Coleman was probably always going to miss some time with an injury because. He plays in a very he plays in arguably uh, the the fullback position in the, in the modern sport is is maybe the most demanding defensive position there is now because you're dealing with the other team's fastest player every time. There's just a lot that's going on there, and so Godfrey fills me with 
I'm excited just because these are the moments where we get to see what we paid for and we get to see, uh, you know, a player who by all accounts is very positionally flexible, can play right back, can play center half. Uh, Michael, I know, Matt, we've heard Michael Greenall say several times that that he actually thinks that holding midfield may ultimately be his best position. I still think given his size, he's going to be a we've center half. We've heard so many yeah. times from so many players, haven't we? I mean, yeah. We but always players and half. we think the center and then some people say, oh, but he's a right back. And then some people say he's yeah. a holding midfielder. It's like, just let them do it's what the reverse doing. Jack. It's the reverse Jack Rodwell. Yeah. Well, I was know, thinking right? of Holgate. Like Holgate <laughs> yeah. so many years as a right back. And then he accidentally found himself being the informed centre-half in the league. So Yeah. Well, and knock on wood, if Gabarman comes back, then you're not going to have a need for another holding midfielder there either. So I... I but that's just the yeah. mystery if that will ever happen. No, it well... <laughs> Yes and no. I mean, you can only go, you can allow the kind of gallows humor of it all to to sway you. Uh, But yes, he has to prove he can actually get on a pitch and and make it through a training session without destroy, you know, shooting a leg off with a grenade. (laughs) I fully understand that. Uh, But at the same time, the plan, you know, he's rehabbing as far as we can tell. If it goes to plan, caveats, asterisks, everything aside, he he should provide a a valuable defensive midfield option. So I guess my point is with this lineup, I I, kind of, I've seen some people suggest, well, maybe this is where, maybe you go three, five, two, and you do something crazy. I I, like, I don't really want to switch the formation up. I, I kind of think this has worked. Calvert Lewin is in the best form of his entire career. I don't think he needs to be disrupted in any way. Nothing needs to jeopardize where he is right now. And I think that happened on Saturday as well. Too many times on Saturday, uh, he found himself out on the wing and Richarlison was seemingly playing centre-forward. And I was like, what's going on? Yeah, they get a little... I think that was the fluster of everything, though, wasn't it? That was after the second goal where that seemed to be really prominent. And I think that was the old panic that they used to fall into so easily. Yeah, and and look, Everton are a side that, on the one hand, you can say they've now finally got the sorts of attacking players that are um, a little more flexible or interchangeable in terms of being able to say they're technically on the, the, the starting 11 sheet. They're, they're playing in this position, but we know we see James Rodriguez is all over that pitch. He is, he is in central midfield. He's on the left at times. Uh, fine. He's James Rodriguez. He can be wherever he wants. He walks while he plays as well. He walks while he plays. He's, <laughs> he is, uh, he is a, a God among men. Uh, but what I would say about Calvert Lewin, at least I've, I feel like I've read this, his own comments about this is one of the things that, that uh, Carlo really challenged him on in terms of being better at his position was to actually uh, not move, not, move and drift out as much to try to uh, uh, try to essentially be the king of his, of the box be the king of his space as opposed to trying to do that thing where you start drifting because then it, it, it has a domino effect on your ability to 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 get get that position that you you're trying to get all the time to be in the right place for goals and his game especially uh, let's be honest I mean Calvert Lewin is uh, the best version of himself right now, but he's never going to be a guy who you want taking a kick, you know, 10 yards outside the box or, you know, playing in the wing. He is a center forward and a very good one and and maybe even a great one. And that's, that's where he needs to play. So I, I look at Iwobi and I look at Gordon as being the types that can 
you know, if they're on their game, they're the types that can provide those chances. I think with Awobi, and you saw this with Bernard as well, I remember at least in the cup games, I just kept coming back to this idea of why have we been keeping those guys glued out onto the wings when you can, yes, they can be starting there, but seeing Awobi and Bernard come inside, they've seemed so much more effective. They've seemed much more like that's playing to their strengths, which is playing those little short passes into the box or around the box. Uh, I, I don't think you want Awobi crossing a bunch. Now, Gordon, I feel like can do a little of everything. I think he can, I think he has all the skills to be a really good winger, but I think ultimately he, I said I said the other day this is lofty comparison, but you know he's he's a De, Kevin De Bruyne type for me. If it, not maybe not the same level, but just in terms of the same skill set and those sorts of things. Of as far as yes, he can play on a wing. Uh, earlier in his career, he kind of did, but he moved more centrally, and that's where he ultimately becomes a, a great player. And, and so there's a lot of that. I, again, I'm just using an analogy. <laughs> not that I don't know enough, you know, I don't know 200 other wingers that I want to compare, you know, or, or attacking players I want to compare them to, but I, I'm using that one for now. So, all right. Um, so the last thing, um, the last thing on Everton is I've, I've wanted to just kind of get your thoughts on what these next three sort of mean to you guys. Uh, I've been saying, and I said this before the Derby that, um, it's more important for Everton to be good again than any the result of any single game, right? You know, I I, I I guess maybe that's my way of kind of emotionally hedging my bets for a game that makes me emotionally, it just fucks me up. Watch, yeah, every time that the derby comes, it just fucks me up. I'm sure you guys could probably relate to that to a degree, but we're past that now. We're still undefeated. We're at the top of the table, and. I think it's if you're going to go into a tricky period where you have a few players missing, it sure is nice to have all those points banked away, right? You don't, you know, we've, you know, it'd be one thing if we just had to go out to Southampton and get that three points, I'd like us to. But having said that, it did make me think about this next three games. It's an interesting stretch. We have Southampton, Newcastle, and United. We talked about this a little bit, in I know, in one of our chats, Matt, about what would be the acceptable points return for these three games. If Everton are what we believe their start would indicate in terms of a new, you know, better mentality, better skill, better ability to create scoring chances and obviously to finish them uh, and just generally playing well, Um what is your minimum acceptable number of points, uh, Matt? I'll start with you and then go to Hannah. Uh, out of these next three, for me, my minimum acceptable number personally is six. I think we're good enough to win two out of three. And if you win two out of three throughout a season, you're winning the league anyway. But I, I would just say in this particular three-game stretch, two out of three, six points. Uh, if I'm being audacious, I would maybe say seven or all nine, but I could live with six. Uh, What I want to avoid is a a three or four point stretch in these next three. So uh, these are some tricky matchups. Matt, how do you how do you look at these next three games? And and based on what your answer is, what do you think that that, uh, you know, what do you think these three games will be able to tell us about Everton uh, moving forward in the season? Well, I don't I don't like answering this question because too many, times <laughs> too many times in the past few seasons, we've got a bit of a head of steam up or, you know, the new managers come in, sign a couple of good players, and we're like, right, this away game at a bottom half team, that's the game that's going to define where we go. And we always lose it. 
every time without fail so i don't like making these predictions but realistically especially as we have got so many key players out you've got to say seven if not nine because if you look at the december we've got if we've got those players back in december we can really hit our stride that's when we can define what this season's going to be so to get through this patch with seven points if not nine points with Hannes and Richarlison not available that would be so massive I'm not going to downrate it by saying oh you know I take a couple of draws or, by the way by saying six you're accepting a defeat when we're undefeated I'm not happy with that <laughs> I know <laughs> well it's probably just because I'm accepting the eventuality that yes we will eventually you know we eventually will lose a game it's and I five. That that's a wild statement if I'd said five, I guess that is technically me saying two draws and a win. Yeah, but <laughs> that's a good point. I guess I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm negative. I'm negative. Rob over here. So. We're gonna go unbeaten until Leeds. That's nailed on. We're gonna lose. Leeds. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. We're definitely gonna lose Leeds. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing more nailed on ever. Hannah, I, I subscribe to the theory of death taxes and Danny Ing scoring against Everton. So I. I just, I'm honestly more nervous about this game, and especially now given that James Rodriguez is out. Hopefully, this is just one game. I'm more nervous about this game than any of the than either of the other two. I, I there's nothing that scares me about United right now. I'm sorry, I don't care. They're just, I think they're a mess. I think that they are a stiff breeze away from from being blown over and you know falling into another crisis again. I think the longer that they choose to persist with this manager instead of going out and getting Pochettino, it's just sitting right there. It's just they're just extending their own you know kind of living in this odd misery that that again is all relative because they're in the champions league and stuff like that but having said all of that um something about and and i think newcastle is 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 a solid team and could absolutely beat us but i feel good against them i'm nervous about this game i think that's maybe where there's a part of me that fears this is the game but then we bounce back maybe that's where i'm coming up with six from but what do you think what do you make of the next three and do you do you do you kind of share Matt's? Uh, I guess Matt, I'd call it optimism or, or confidence about about if this team is really who we think they are, then there's no reason they shouldn't go out and, and win all three of these. Yeah, and I think it's important to think about take a lot of positives from Saturday because a year ago, after that first goal going in in a massive minutes, we would never have came back to that. We most definitely would never have came back to two against Liverpool. So, okay, all right, we ended with a draw. The positives of that game against the champions and coming back to that position, which we would never have done, proves to me that it fits in with that. Well, we can carry on this undefeated thing because against the best team apparently in the bloody world, we still managed to hold our own and show okay, we're not at the, obviously you could see the complete gaps, we're not at their level at all, but we held our own that game. So I think that gave me more confidence because if we could do that against Liverpool, then surely that can be replicated, replicated sorry, against other teams. But then obviously the thing is with Southampton, what I mentioned earlier, their ability to score goals, they're very different to other teams in that way. But I suppose that's the one out of the three. I'll agree with you. I'm not that asked about United. 
I feel like I, as much as Sky News want to make us all really concerned about them still they're not of any significance at the moment really are they so I think I'm not really concerned about them then Newcastle I just want to right the wrongs because that was the last game I went to with Gutherson no. and I really need to that game still wrongs. kills me that's the last yeah. time I stepped foot in Gutherson so I, I it's good I definitely feel like we're going to get two wins out of it I can't believe I'm saying that a year ago if I was looking into the future now I'd be howling at myself at making that statement but I do think we'll get two wins I think it, we could potentially get a draw if I had me I uh, I do think if we were to get the draw it would be on Sunday but I'd like to hope it's not going to be that way but we just need to make sure that Dom is not jeopardised in any way he's not left open to any fouls or anything he can still play in that <laughs> position <Wow. laughs> Good luck with that. You can't protect these guys with uh, bubble. No, but I'm just saying that, that if if we if everything goes into orchestrating the team around Dom and not having Hammers and Richarlison, if everything goes into working around him and doing right. it that way, if we're still getting them goals in the box for him to get his head on, then it shouldn't be a huge, massive gap and concern. Yeah, yeah. Well, and look, this is you know to the earlier discussion of the defense. I mean, regardless of what you think of. Uh, Yerry Mina, Michael Keane, Godfrey, what have you? That's who it's going to be. Uh, there, there is no margin. There is no other option right now for anyone else to come in. And so, I, I get this feeling that that we need to have a game that's a little more like a Spurs type of game where we are exerting our quality on the other side. And 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 let's be honest, Southampton and Newcastle are 12th and 13th right now for a reason. I mean, they, they have some ability and I think that, that there is more ability spread throughout this league now than there has been in a while. They can absolutely win on their day. They've shown that they can come back, uh, you know, the way that, that Southampton recently did. I, I think it's just that at the end of it, and maybe this is where I kind of lean towards what Matt's saying you know, let's just put United uh, on the side for a second. We're better than Southampton and Newcastle. Even with these two injuries, I still feel like we're better than. Oh yeah, we are. Maybe still that's my own. Like, no, no, we are. Yeah, I, it's probably my own. My own blue tinted glasses there, but I, I do feel even with those injuries that, given the the striker we have given the midfield options now that we we all feel so much better about. I think we should win these games. Um, but I think it will be one of those cases where we've just got to be clean defensively. We've got to maybe, uh, even though these are, you have that whole dynamic where when you're playing on the road, you don't have as much possession. And blah, Well, road and home, I don't know that that means shit right now. Yeah, so I, I just think uh, Everton need to go out and and try to exert their, their will on the game. Um, I think that they still have the pieces in the center of midfield to, to retain the ball pretty well um and i think it's going to be uh they're not going to be as potent offensively but if they can play a good defensive game make the most of the chances and uh, you know i i don't see any reason why they can't win and and finally i'd say on that that too that the other part of me that has matt fluss confidence in this is that now that we're getting the really dodgy var calls that's proof that we're elite <laughs> only the elite dodgy. sides get yeah only the it wasn't the dodgy <laughs> matt matt tried to show me this picture in one of our chats that, that, that <laughs> Throughout the line that showed that tried to articulate, oh, he was trying to articulate why uh, Mane was offside, and I still can't see it. Was it like, but it I'm was like that bit in Father Ted with the cows. It was like this is small, this is far away. 
because it was a vertical line from the pitch to the sky, and you were like, "But Yeri's behind it." it was like, he's I twenty yards been... away. Listen, they've <laughs> yeah. had so think how many um, decisions went in the way their way last season. Then, no, you I know don't. What I mean? no, 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 no one feels bad about it. it. No, no, you know what no, no, no. I mean? like, I'm not apologizing. Yeah, no, 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 but you know what I mean. Like, I'm gonna it, do a reverse Jose here. Oh, Jose, sorry, he hates that. I'm going to do the reverse Jose. If you if we talk about VAR, I am going to talk about VAR because <laughs> one of the one of the subtexts of this whole row this week has been from journalists and pundits and former footballers alike. It seems to be an accepted truism now that VAR is not working and it needs to go because of marginal calls based on millimeters. Now, I pointed out on Twitter that. Just as often as you're getting a striker flagged offside and a goal disallowed for the edge of his sleeve being four millimetres the wrong side of the line, just as often as that has happened in this season and last season, players were getting played onside, like John Terry, who scored the equaliser against... Oh, it's always Chelsea, actually. Oh. All those Chelsea yeah. goals. I hate two, that game so much. Two in one game, and that John Terry won. Just as often as those incidents have happened now, you had teams, usually top six teams having players miles offside, being allowed to score very, very important goals. So I will take what we've got now over that because that was just okay. ridiculous. And anyone with a television screen could see that it wasn't right. They could. And I'm gonna... the, the picture I sent you, Rob, it's the referee sees a different line to what you see on TV. They see a very, right. very thin line. So, yeah. But then they make it that chunky. That part I understood. They make it yeah. chunky and dotted. So he's like, oh, that's not offside. Look, it's really blurry. It's... it's... Right. It's not helpful at all, but I'm, I'm a, I'm I'm a VAR stan. I really am because okay. even if it's one million, Matt, you always have been. You've been consistently. I have you have consistently. Consistent, yeah. You have consistently said, and I will defend Matt on this. Matt has said because I'm not anti VAR. I am anti how this completely inept league league officiating setup uh, at times uh, utilizes it in sometimes very semi selective ways. But your point is well taken. I would rather us get more calls right, even if that means we occasionally have a few mistakes, as opposed to getting a lot more calls wrong just because we refuse to even look at it. I, I'm with you. Like, it's sort of like tennis. You know how in tennis, I always think about that, that when someone argues, well, only his sleeve was touching the line or whatever. So the spirit of the rule should be that he's onside. And I would argue that whenever I'm watching Wimbledon or the French open, they do that, you know, they get the challenge, right? Okay, and it yeah. shows you that the ball touches that is touching any part of that line. It's still in. And if it's not, it's not. And it's very, and it's, and you could are like, I could see someone saying, Oh, but it's essentially out. The ball is 98% out. Well, we wouldn't feel that way on a goal. Would we, no, the ball has to fully cross the line and no. hockey, the puck has to fully cross the line. So I, I think Matt makes a good point that, it's not the tool. It's the maybe it's the application that's the issue. Hannah, and if you we have can ram too. the point home, uh, oh, if you oh, can be ahead. one millimeter offside, you can be one millimeter onside. So yeah. mathematically, yeah. it cancels out. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough, Hannah. I'm just going to stick with what Big McKean says and saying that it's there for a reason, and obviously got it right on the weekend. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm going to stick with Big McKean on that because I thought he was perfect at asked on that. He was like, "I'm not taking the base." I did, did not know he job. answered it that way. Yeah, he says. 
I, yeah, I it's like when he got that. his post match, he says it. It was like, obviously, it's there for a reason, and it got it right today. And I was like, go ahead. Well, <laughs> then I'm that. That's a point in the Michael Keane column for me. I, I I really like that kind of snide answer. And, it, that's, and that's, he did. It's so polite, but you knew inside he was just like, you know, that. But it was just like, yeah, got it right today. And I was like, this was. <laughs> Hey, I want to end talking about non-football just because I have the two of you on here. I I want to take advantage of this. Um, I apparently, according to Matt, who's told me that this podcast does decent decent numbers uh, that that are spread out in terms of listeners, not just on Merseyside, but in other parts of the world. Uh, Again, for all of you Colombians listening, welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, But also Americans, uh, oftentimes are Twitter feeds that incorporate a ton of information about the Premier League or about Everton are also necessarily inundated with uh, the news of the day and a lot of the politics going on. Um, I want to focus on one specific thing because there has been a widespread amount of, of outrage amongst people like you guys that I follow and trust and who I feel like are plugged into things. There was apparently over the last couple of days, and basically I'm just going to ask you as, as someone who doesn't, who's not in the loop and doesn't fully know because God knows I've got my own political burden to have to carry in my head here right now. But um, tell me about this vote that recently occurred in parliament around, I think it was uh, school, uh, meal, school, me- school meals, meals yeah. for, for, I imagine these are students who are fall under a financial threshold and how in the midst of a pandemic that, that could get voted down. Are there reasons it got voted down that I don't understand? Or is this just pure principled greed on some level? Um, it's just pure educate. Evil. I want you guys to educate me on what this is all about. So basically they wouldn't have not have carried on with them months and months back. It was because of the social pressure from Marcus Rashford and he was held up like this big hero for championing it and getting it through each time. As a result of that, he's been a, he got awarded as an MBE for him. Hannah, before you continue, set 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 this up for me. What was the whole? What's the issue in general? It's the issue With, that they wanted to expand uh, free meals. Yeah, or, so, or, or yeah, meal because service. obviously there's all financial hardship going on um, because mm-hmm. a lot of places have locked down now. Whereas at the beginning of the year, in our first national lockdown, people were getting paid eighty percent of the wages. That's massively reduced now, and they're expecting basically adults to live off five pounds something an hour on a minimum wage. So if you're cutting that down, so many more people are out to work. All our pubs and everything are closed then you're expecting these parents who already come under that barrier of free school meals. Like, that falls onto you get a bus pass and everything. It's just because you need support to get your child to school, basically. So if you've then got parents who already can't uh, find it difficult in them situations to support that uh, or to be able to provide money to have the kids have a meal every day, well, they're especially not going to be able to afford it now. If they couldn't afford it two years ago when this country, okay, it was still in a shit situation, going through Brexit and but it was in a lot better position than now, then how the hell are they going to be able to afford to do that now? And I think it's just, it it seems to me absolutely crazy that you can be saying we're giving you all the support and we're looking after you. I think Boris Johnson had the cheek to tweet today saying with our new retention scheme for winter, we're putting our arm around people um, threatened by the virus. Well, no, you're not. 
you're not at all that you went for basically children who are going hungry. But this has come a week after that it got announced in the House of Commons that MPs will potentially be getting a 3,200 pay rise because of the hardships that the, this oh. year has had on them yeah. as MPs. So if you can watch that, what, over that's 300 odd are all getting that, but you can't feed kids for five days. We're not talking about the summer holidays. We're not talking about six weeks here in the middle of lockdown. It's five days. It's absolutely disgusting. But then, so Marcus Rashford champions all of this as worked so hard because obviously it's all the thing he grew up, his mother relied on that. He got given an MBE two weeks ago. That gets the ministers to tell the Queen who to give them awards to. Two weeks later, he's been it's been denied and it's not given through Parliament that the sport's not going to carry on. And I went down last night and Bar- uh, the Prime Minister, who, is get- who has been one of the people involved in him getting this MBE, voted against it. The actual Prime Minister of this country mm. voted against small children having something to eat during a pandemic. At- mm. How and this is also at the same time that Jeremy Hunt, so he would have been our prime minister if he beat Johnson in the leadership campaign. He was posting receipts in August with his lovely eat on to help out and the fifty percent off he was getting off his meal, despite the fact that he's absolutely minted. These had all been saying, "Oh yeah, it's fine." So all the adults were fine getting fifty percent off their meal back in August, but now October's come and they went feed kids for five days. It it's just horrendous I, I it it just it's just the levis of the low in my opinion you can't say that we've all got to look after each other and yeah. then you're saying that you can't help out children who are going to go hungry especially in a city like liverpool now there's comp- like there's individual businesses now in liverpool who are packing all their own lunches to give out next week because of what the poverty line is like in this city for children especially during this pandemic so mm. just it, it's fucked so Matt, if I in this country, whenever uh, conservative political leadership votes this kind of stuff down, it's always under the guise of what I feel like is very selectively timed fiscal responsibility. Well, we can't afford to just feed everyone. You know, we gotta tighten the purse strings. Everyone needs to, you know. There's cliches about bootstraps and crap like that um but it it always feels to me uh, i always have felt like in america at least where we have even less of a social safety net than you know in many ways than than you guys do that i've always felt like people that that the greatest trick that conservative politics ever pulled was convincing people who pay taxes that the government should never help them for with anything uh, at all. And then they all should also conversely should feel that people who are getting helped uh, by the government are somehow the enemy. Um, so I, I look at, I look at over there where, where taxes are definitely higher there than they are over here. Um, and like, what is the social safety net for if not to feed starving children or feed children who are, uh, who are, um, you know, who are challenged in a very, in a pan, worldwide pandemic uh, with a coming lockdown where the economic conditions aren't going to suddenly get better. Uh, people are going to be out of jobs. What What's the justification here? What I, I feel like I'm missing something. What has been the line from them about why they would vote against something that seems, seems akin to saying I'm anti puppy dog or I am, uh, you know, pro bad guy. Well, you know, look at our election. We are pro bad guy here. So anyway, 
Matt, tell me, explain this to me and, and tell me about your general feelings on the issue because I know you've got thoughts. Well, I obviously have very strong feelings. You're not alone in being a bit baffled by this because this isn't, for example, like my people, our policy last year was to expand this program to every child regardless of income just because our principle was if you're going to feed one kid, just feed them all then no one feels left out, no one feels stigmatized, that's fine. That's not even what this is. This is just about keeping the free meals for the kids when they're not in school, be that by lockdown or over Christmas, things like that. And I am at a complete loss, not just morally, because morally, economically, and politically, this does not make any sense. The moral case is clear. Hannah's made it. The economic case, you touched on it, that eat out to help out nonsense, which I'll admit right now, I availed myself of mostly by accident because I go to the cafe at lunchtime. I noticed one day that my coffee and hummus was £2.50. But that cost half a billion pounds, £500 million as a subsidy for businesses, which you could argue that they needed at the time. This is going to cost a fraction of that. So economically, it doesn't make sense to vote this down. And politically, I mean, when you've got one of the most objectively most popular footballers in England right now who is constantly tweeting about this and just raking them over the coals, his face was on the front page of the newspapers today next to Johnson's looking like, you know, what's wrong with you, mate? It makes There's no way that there's going to be a groundswell of 50% plus people in this country going, yeah, that was the right thing to do. Stand up for the strivers. So, I mean... Even the people inside what we call the bubble in Westminster are looking at this thinking, what are they doing? Like, there is no, there's nothing for them to gain here. It's it's like they're just trapped in some strange loop in their well, own minds. It was quite strange today. So it was, I think it was on, um, so it's like BBC Two Politics Live program they did. And I'm not sure yeah. what the name of the Tory MP he was on. And he said something along the lines of, well, they've yeah, it, something along the lines of, well, they've always been hungry. Like, this isn't a new problem. As if that justifies why we yeah. shouldn't be paying Jeez. for that now. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, up to the parents to pay for the food. Uh, this, like, this is, for, a, this is for the children of, I wouldn't like to say bad parents, but this is for the children of parents who, for whatever reason, do not or cannot provide for them. Yeah. So to say, oh, but it's the parents' responsibility. Children are completely innocent victims in this scenario. Like this outlook, it's just yeah. And even you have supposed progressive journalists like Krishnan Gurumurthy from Channel Four tweeting things like, "If all of the people complaining about this on Twitter just donated to charity, it would be saved tomorrow." That's not the point. It's not for people to make a voluntary contribution to charity to save the poor from starvation. No, when our taxes this, this isn't be the right crowd of philanthropists. Right, right. Yeah, taxes feel like they ought to be kind of an insurance policy against mass Things starvation. Like I mean, I'm not. You know, it's not like I'm. I'm. I'm uh, uh, I'm sitting here bitching and moaning about I don't know the the melting climate and uh, you know the world being destroyed, which that's in and of itself its own hor- horrifying reality that we have to deal with. But uh, there there does seem to be this sort of like basic level of human decency that just seems to suggest, and and there's this expression here that's certainly become prominent over the last four years here, which is the cruelty is the point. 
that almost like it's meant to hammer home this i this changing idea that no the government is not supposed to help your tax this is not what the government is for and and maybe they, they fundamentally believe that but I, I would argue that regardless of what your political stripes are um when when the the when any use case or scenario gets brought up and it's i don't know starving poor children who are the ones that suffer i feel like whatever argument nuanced or not you're trying to make is a really shit fucking argument no, it's not. <laughs> so that's and if we can that's... jump back to that tory minister saying this is not a new problem that is a statement of fact and there's a, a charity in liverpool late uh, st john's community center who um they every summer they have to fill this gap because obviously in normal times, there are still kids who go hungry during the summer because it doesn't matter if it's March or August. If the kids aren't in school, then they're not getting that meal a day that they will get right. from the school for free school meals. So this community centre does fill that gap for them. And every year there's a big drive and you know, they're absolutely fantastic. And you're talking about thousands of kids in one of the most deprived areas of Liverpool, in Liverpool 8. So they do fantastic work, but it's something that should be covered in legislation. It shouldn't be up to charity. Yeah, no, charity is is fantastic and it's important. And the people who are part of those organizations are, uh, you know, they're doing the Lord's work, man. But you can't, they need to be, uh, charities need to be the supplement or the complement, if you will, uh, to a, a more widely organized effort that comes from the general social contract that we all have with government, which says that we pay, you know, we make a living and uh, we will pay some of our income in order to have infrastructure and basic human needs and necessities met. And, and, and to you can argue about whether or not there should be more, uh, a more expansive role or not, which I, I'm, you know, I'm obviously I'm more liberal and I, I obviously agree that it should but this isn't even about that we're not even sitting here making a it's not a radical liberal uh idea to say that basic coverage of 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 food needs for for the least of us should be covered by the government uh, because the other thing is is when you have a bunch of people who are who are uh, have a food shortage uh when you create the conditions for people to be super desperate you're also then creating new problems and you don't want those problems. <laughs> so, But then uh, also, it's absolutely brilliant what Marcus Rashford's doing, but why do we live in a society where a 22-year-old football player has to put right. pressure on the government to feed hungry children? How is that even yeah. a thing? Of course, what he's done over the past, what, seven months now, absolutely amazing, but why do we live in a society where that has to happen? He's the same age as me. Why is he telling these 50-year-olds or rich men that they should want children to be fed it's just an absolute joke yeah we we are de- we are in desperate need of adults guys we are in desperate need of adults all right uh well i've probably i've gotten uh, political enough on there but again i don't think anything that we just talked about was that radical i am pro feeding starving children and if that's going to be a controversial statement that gets me in trouble then uh who cares i'm, I'm in oklahoma come get me uh, guys give us another hour yeah. to show you radical Oh, don't worry. I'll have you. My t shirts is ready for the radical conversation. I mean, <laughs> hey, Matt's gonna Matt is gonna be uh, burning burning the uh, the midnight oil plus some on election night over here. Uh, I'll be burning I will something be, anyway. 
I will be, <laughs> as will I, my friend, as will I. I will be also in the fetal position for most of uh, Tuesday, November 3rd as well. God, that's close uh, now, isn't it? Hoping, I know. Uh, the the polls all look really good, and uh, the it just, it it's so sad what a boogeyman we've created in this guy that now I'm so, I like, it's like 90%, and I'm like, yeah, but there's still 10%. You know, 10% is still a big chance. So uh, everyone, if you're listening to this uh, in America, go vote. Um, if you're listening to this uh, anywhere in the world and you have you live in a place where you can vote, vote, because we are seeing what happens when, when not enough people with the right frame of mind who support children eating. Well, yeah, vote. and if you, so. and you're listening in the UK, go and sign a petition to Parliament so this can be discussed further in Parliament. <laughs> and guys, if you have, um, if you guys have, uh, again, not that we think charity should have to be the route out of this, but uh, Matt, Hannah, if you guys have uh, particular charities in mind that people should consider contributing to, if they're able to, let me know. I'm happy to amplify that on social media. Um, and support and food banks and the L6 center. Okay. That's all right. <laughs> she said, all right, wonderful. All right, wonderful. Well, Hannah, Matt, this has been fantastic. Thank you guys so much for joining this week. I feel like we've uh, we've solved a lot of things. And uh, as always, that's my, my goal here on The Kickabout. Uh, coming up, uh, obviously, over the next several days. Really, guys, uh, there are no more lulls in the Blue Room calendar. There are constantly shows on both the free and the Blue Room extra feed. Uh, but uh, we've got mailbag coming up this weekend. We'll have post-match. Uh, we'll have all your usual shows. Matt Jones has been doing a fantastic job every day with Blue Room breakfast for those of you who are on uh, Blue Room Extra, uh, and uh, obviously we're going to have a, a lot to talk about. I I almost don't want to wait until Sunday for this game. I'm, I'm already getting nervous again, but man, it's it sure is a good feeling to be looking forward to seeing Everton play. So uh, we will uh, look forward to uh, talking to you guys more then. But we'll do more kickabout next week. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.